Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. We give you praise and we give you glory. Thank you, Father. Let's celebrate Jesus this morning. Let's celebrate Jesus this morning. He is good. He is good. He is good. And when the testimonies start rolling in, be faithful. The other day I talked about someone getting healed. Two people sent me a text after service that they got healed during service. So these things happen. But when they happen, verbalize them. Give testimonies. Share them. Let it inspire others. The Word of God is real. The Spirit of God is real. These are not old wife fables. These things are real. I've been healed before. Alright? I know these things are real. Healing is real. Breakthroughs are real. The anointing is a real thing. Praise God. It's not an annoying thing. <laughs> it's a real thing. The anointing is so powerful. Father, we receive all that you have given and bestowed upon us in this service today with thanksgiving and with joy. For in Jesus' precious name we have received. Can we shout a louder amen? Glory to God. Have your seats in God's presence. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Are we blessed? I am blessed. I'm blessed. Blessed to be in service today. Glory to God. Ooh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Welcome anybody to church. Give them an, an honest compliment. <laughs> P.I., welcome to church. Good to see you on a suit. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. We're still on these diaries, though. We're still here. But happy Father's Day to all the men in the house. <laughs> we had a very fantastic conversation yesterday. We had senior pastors, you know, TBC senior pastors meeting yesterday evening, so I couldn't be actively involved at the bamboo so I had to catch up later on and as I was reading I was just laughing <laughs> laughing so hard and it was really edifying let's celebrate the bamboos please they, they are doing a fantastic job and uh, <laughs> I mean great conversation and I think it's a really wholesome community we're building and I'm sure the same is happening at the pillars end of things as well so well done well done well done happy Father's Day hmm. one of the most striking memories of my dad was when we entered the banking hall together. I mean, sincerely, that event has never left me ever since. My dad is not the most educated of men, but I'm yet to see a bolder man than my dad. I've not seen it, really, I've not seen it. He's so bold and audacious. He entered you know, the, the, the banking hall and they were wasting his time. They were wasting his time. Oh dear God, my father stood up in the middle of the banking hall and screamed the MD down. Screamed at everybody. Everybody was at attention. Who is this man? Where is he from? He's just, you understand? There's nothing like, you know. But the way he spoke, the confidence, boy, commanded the attention of everybody. I was like, this man, if they even say they're not answering you, what will you threaten them with? It's not like you have any, you know, but the confidence, the boldness. I mean, 
I, I, I would always celebrate my dad for that. He's one of the strongest people I know as well. All my life, I've never seen him sick. Never. Never. Until recently. Until recently. And what he dealt with, all right, was a very deadly disease. Deadly. Deadly. It doesn't get deadlier than that. And my father never for once acknowledged I don't know how to explain it. He doesn't dignify things. He didn't dignify it with, I'll sit at home and be petting this thing. He will travel. He's 76. They're about now. He travels everywhere. He wants to travel too. Driving. And you know, I'm the man of faith, Abi. I almost want to ask him, this thing, is it still there? But I can't even, I don't have the liver to ask him. Because he's living... Large, he's living his life as if nothing is going on. His mental strength is incredible. Incredible. And just like I was hearing, you know, men share about their fathers, we need to appreciate our fathers. We need to, we need to, we need to. You know, sometimes in a bid to give our own children what we did not experience, we forget to give them what we experienced. We forget to give them. What we received was mental strength. What we received from our dad was incredible stealth and agility in the, in the face of trials and vicissitudes, strength of character, the ability to go through things even when all your emotions and everything in your body is saying, cower, go down, beg. That strength of character to go through things and not bow or bend, you know, and prevail. Over situations and circumstances. That's a father. That's a father. They may not give you all the nice mushy things. That quote and unquote the westernized world. Has made it look like that's all development is about. Because there's a lot I can begin to say. There's a lot I can begin to say. Alright. But they gave us what they had. And what they had has brought you this far. You are here. Proof of the fact that what they did. Got you to where you are. All right? So, before we begin to go into cultivating a sense of, ah, they didn't do enough. Let's give thanks. Let's be grateful for them. My daddy never asked me for my results. Never asked me. I was waiting for, you know, just ask me. Because I used to do well. Ask me. Just ask me. Go and bring a report card. He never did. He was not on my birthday. My mom that will remind me, today is your son. Says, hey, you're not calling the evening. Praise God. But will I now say, oh, my dad didn't give me what he could without an NC, without an HND, without any certificate? How? How? Without anything. Roughed everything. Became a market at NMPC. Without anything. How now? How do, you, how do you face life with doggedness? My mom is one of the most beautiful women in the world. How my father had delivered to ask her out, I don't know till today. I don't know. Look at my mom. So saw a recent picture of her. The girl said. My father, with all the English just hitting themselves. 
he asked my, my mother out. And she said, yes. Ah! Only confidence can get you there. Only confidence. <laughs> Praise God. So please, um, let's be very grateful. Let's be very grateful for what we received. And let's ensure to give our children what we received as well. And then add to it. Okay? Let's add to it. Let's not remove it though. Because in a bit to give them all the mushiness, you remove the substance. Then they become CCs. Then any small thing, ah, I can't, what's that? You know, they've not told me I love you today, so I can't go to school. Eh? Really? Ah. Okay, oh, don't go. Ah. Do you understand? So we need to just put things in perspective. <clears throat> Amen. Let's get into the word. <laughs> Happy Father's Day once again to all the fathers in the house and by extension everyone who will be watching across the screens. Amen. Father, as we get into your word, we ask that everyone is blessed, that if I had strengthened and encouraged through the teaching of your word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name we have prayed. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Okay, so today, I, still doctrine, okay? Still doctrine and... I want us to be very patient today. It may not be very long, but I, I just feel the Lord will have us touch on a few things. You understand? So tell your neighbor, say doctrine. is more powerful than experience. Because doctrine can change your experience. Tell your neighbor, say doctrine is more powerful than miracles. Because doctrine and create an atmosphere for miracles. Tell your neighbor, say doctrine is more powerful than dogma because doctrine can change the heart and transform the mind. Tell your neighbor, say today, I pay attention to doctrine. Tell your neighbor again, say today, I pay attention to doctrine. Tell him, oh, I'm, not, I'm in no hurry around doctrine. Tell him, oh, say, I, I have no itchy ears. Tell her, I stay grounded in doctrine. That then say this with grace. I love sound doctrine. Ask your neighbor, why? Why do you love sound doctrine so much? <laughs> because I'm a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why. That's why I love sound doctrine. Because I'm a disciple. I'm a disciple. I, I don't just touch and go. Those are not disciples. Jesus had a lot of touch and goes. All those 5,000, 3,000, 7,000. Touch and go. Today they come to eat bread. The next day they are coming to look for bread again. And then Jesus begins to teach doctrine. They can handle it. They can handle doctrine. And they're like, ah, this one is too hard. Uh, this guy is a cannibal now. But you can eat his bread. Because he's saying, you must drink of my blood and eat of my flesh. And they can't handle it. And then he says, be going. Because really what I was looking for are disciples. And then even his disciples looked at them and said, do you also want to leave now? You can leave right now. Let's just know that I'm the only one in this ministry. I will start all over again. And then Peter as he was about to go, he said, ah, where, where are we going? He said, ah, sorry. There is no other person to go to for the words of eternal life. You alone have the words of eternal life. And they stayed put. That's what made them doctrine. I mean, rather, disciples. Because they loved, they stuck with doctrine. Sometimes doctrine is not comfortable. Sometimes it's not exciting. But that's what will make you. When we're talking about responsible fathers, it's doctrine that will make such a man. Doctrine. 
Many of the fathers that are failing in the society today, they don't know anything about doctrine. Nothing about responsibility. Nothing about sound word. Nothing. So they're just following the whims and caprices of their feelings and emotions. And that's why they keep shedding their seed all across the place. Gathering baby mamas like a collection. Right? Because they've not been exposed to doctrine. They've not learned. They've not learned. Not learn. So it's important to pay attention to doctrine. We need to, we need to desist from loving the soft life ideology. You need to fight it. Pastor Mike still mentioned it on Thursday. You need to fight it. That soft life you want to live, somebody walked to afford it for you. That soft life. Somebody's walked. There is, there, are no, there, there, there is nothing that has been produced that was not produced by someone's work and investment somewhere at the back end. So this desire for a soft life that is bereft of effort that you want to experience is not of God. It's not of God. It's not of God. You need to understand the path of responsibility. It's the path of sounds. It's the path of sounds. Praise God. One of my contemplations as I began to explore, of course, the book of Jonah, was why can't God, I need you to go on this journey with me, why can't God just change the mind of Jonah? Why? We see you manipulate the biggest mammal on the face of the earth. Have you seen a whale before? This is the largest being on earth. Bigger than anything created, at least in this dispensation. We know of the behemoths and, you know, um, what's that other one? Leviathan, exactly. As referenced in the book of Job. I'm sure those ones are bigger than the whale, but we don't see them to even verify how large they were. But right now, we know the whale is the largest mammal on the face of the earth. And we see God manipulate it like it was just a pawn. We see God turn the rivers of water, create a storm out of nothing. We see God manipulate the environment. How about you just change the heart of Jonah? That, that will cost you less. And give you more. It makes sense. Why disturb the environment? Get people to lose their ways. Lose their cargo. Lose their livelihoods. Then disturb a whale that was looking for food. Now he has to fast. For three days. Because he, he didn't eat. Oh you thought the whale was eating? While Jonah was there? That's the end now. That's the end though. The whale had to fast. Oh yeah. The whale had to fast for three days. Why go through all of this stress? Why? When you can just turn his heart. You are God. Why don't you just turn his heart and make it bend? But God will not do that. Why? And then the, the, the first verse that comes to my mind, because this is a conversation. The first verse that comes to my mind is Proverbs 25, or rather Proverbs 21, verse 1. Let's, let's check it out. The Bible said there that the king's heart... It's in the hand of the Lord. It says like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he chooses. So I'm like, mm -mm, this thing does not add up. The heart of kings are in your hands. How about you just turn it now? At least you hardened the heart of. It makes sense. This is how you start with God's word. It makes sense. You, you hardened the heart of Pharaoh. You can soften Jonah's heart. Just do the reverse of what you did to Pharaoh. 
If you can harden Pharaoh's heart, you can soften Jonah's heart. Because the heart of kings are in your hands. How about you just turn it however? But I have noticed that throughout scripture, God has never bent any man's will. Never. Even Pharaoh. Amen? Praise God. See, because when you read the Bible, and this is why it's important to pour, P-O-R-E, pour over scripture. And then pour yourself, P-O-U-R, into scripture. Am I right, sir? I'm on track. <laughs> you pour over scripture in the sense that you receive as much from every dimension, every space, every segment of scripture. Understand the whole counsel. Listen, you may not be able to effectively meditate until you have a full understanding, at least in terms of perspective, of the whole counsel of God. You must have at least read the whole Bible at least once. If you're here in this house and you have not finished the Bible once at least, you are wrong. And you need to improve. You need to grow. Remember we, said, we talked about how that the body is growing. Before you begin to create career goals, create this one first. Your life depends on it. Not just your career. Your whole life depends on it. You need to read the whole Bible at least once. When you finish, you can't stop. So you will continue. Praise God. Because it gives you perspective. Because you will now see that there's a scripture. There is a verse. There is a, a segment here that does not really align with the whole counsel. Going by the literal understanding that I'm getting from this one verse. So what do you do? You don't allow the whole entire landscape of scripture collapse to support only this one. What do you do? You understand that okay, there is something inherently wrong with my perception of this scripture. And then you divide other truths and ensure that it's also in alignment. But if you don't understand the other counsel, you would assume that that one is what every other one is saying. You see what I'm saying now? So you need to read scripture as a whole. Just pour through scripture and pour yourself into scripture. Amen. Because I notice that there is no other place where God bent anybody's heart. I remember the teaching for, for some reason recently it's been getting a lot of listening, okay? Airborne thinking. And that was a landmark teaching. If you've not listened to it in this house, go listen to it again. Very powerful teaching. And one of the things that I shared in that teaching is the fact that hmm, prophecies after the fact. Ah, I hope the Lord will give me utterance and bandwidth to communicate these things in a way that you would understand. One of the things I shared in that story, or rather in that teaching, was that the blessings and the prophecies that Jacob was releasing on his children, he was releasing it after they had acted the component of the same blessings he was now blessing them with, or quote-unquote cursing them with. So it was not what he said after they had done it that made them do it. They had already done it. It was not what he blessed or cursed them with that made them do what they did. They had already done They chose their blessings. They chose their curses. They chose it. Is this not why Paul tells Timothy and says, This charge I commit unto thee, Timothy, my son, according to the prophecies that went on before on thee, that thou mightest by them wage a good warfare. And I begin to talk about holding faith and a good conscience and all of that. But what I want you to know here is that he said, If there is prophecy, but there is no 
corresponding actions to align yourself with the prophecy, you delete the, 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 the power of that prophecy, the potential and the potency of that prophecy. You neutralize that prophecy if you do not add the actionable components. In the same vein, if you get the actionable components of a prophetic word, the prophecy will catch up with it. Do you understand what I just said? There is prophecy over your life. You do not align with it by waging war, holding faith and a good conscience. And you think the prophecy will just come to pass. It will not come to pass. You have neutralized the power of that prophecy by your inaction. In the same vein, you can carry actions that have corresponding prophetic agitations connected to them. Once you begin to act like that, the prophetic agitation connected to that action will show up. It will show up. So don't look at you are blessed. You chose that blessing. Because God made it very clear that, listen, I've placed before you life and death. Blessing and cursing. I didn't curse you. I didn't bless you. I placed it before you. You choose. So, God didn't harden Pharaoh's heart. All the actions that Pharaoh had been taking all these years got his heart hardened. God only understood the state of his heart. He understood that this heart that I see needs a series of progressively intensifying rate of plagues which will culminate in the killing of the firstborns to get this man to even flinch. Do you understand? So it was not like God in the process was hardening. God cannot harden a man's heart. Because when, what, what he saw with Pharaoh was that um, this man was, there is nothing I can do. And however, remember I, I, I thought about living stories, if you read Push Buttons, how that God took advantage of the hardness of his own heart to create a very graphic exodus for the children of Israel so that they will not be able to forget that night in their history. So he took advantage of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart and created a series of plagues that will culminate in the tipping point that will get Pharaoh to say, ah, okay, it's okay. Let my people go now. I let them go. Even at that, his heart was hardened again. Because after they left, he wanted to pursue after them to recover everything. God was using his own hardness of heart against himself. God did not harden anybody's heart. In the same vein, there is no king's heart that is in God's hand that God will manipulate. I hope you understand because that was one scripture that stood against my understanding of the fact that God will not interfere with the will of man. The fact that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But this is a standalone truth that does not seem to align with other dimensions of truth. Because it is God's will that every man comes to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But he has never manipulated anybody to say yes to God. Never. And if a more important objective, which is getting saved, does not get him to manipulate a heart, what should? Don't you understand? If God will not manipulate a heart for the greatest objective in his kingdom, getting men saved, there is nobody has manipulated his heart. Nobody. Including Pharaoh. So what you must do then is understand what the entire canon is saying. Then go back to that one that looks like a very red flag, a different one that looks like an exception. And begin to, in, begin to, what's now, what's now the word? Extrapolate the understanding and insights you've gotten from the rest. To make it make sense. Because that one too must make sense. Because if it does not make sense, it's not cohesive. It's no longer a, a, a cohesive body of knowledge. Amen? So, it's no longer a cohesive body of knowledge. 
It has to make sense. So when the Bible says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, he did not touch his heart. He only understood the state of his heart, which was hardened. So you think his heart was not hardened. Pharaoh. Think about it. Pharaoh. Pharaoh wants to sport. He kills somebody to sport. To excite himself. You know, has battalions of wives. You say that person's heart is not already hardened. What more hardening will God do to harden it more? Pharaoh's heart was already hardened. God just understood that state of heart and took advantage of that state of heart for his own glory. Because he knows what he could have done once and he would let the people go. He, know, he knows it. But he understood that, see, this guy's heart is hardened. It will take a series of templates at least. With the last one culminating in the killing of his own first child and then the, those of the entire land. And then he will let the people go. So he arranged it in that order specifically. So that the people of Israel will never forget that night in their entire history. It was for the purpose of memory. Could have done it in one night. And without even letting them know, they will sleep, kill everybody. You know, he won't tell them what they Why did he take them through all of those graphic, illustrative emancipation? Why? He was trying to organize their memory. Organize their imaginations. As they were leaving Jordan, he said, pick the stones. Ensure that, listen, they will ask you. Your children will ask you. What happened? Why do you have these stones? Everywhere you are going, everywhere you are carrying these stones. You will not even carry back first. You will carry stone. What's the problem? What was this thing about this stone? They will ask you. And they use it as an opportunity to tell them, ah, our fathers were taken captive in a strange land. And these were the things that God did through them. That is, never let a generation die without hearing that story. No generation must die without hearing that story. They must hear it and then hand it over to their next generation. It was for the purpose of that transitional, you know, should I say narrative, that God ensured that their exodus was going to be as dramatic as possible. That was why. So when God says he hardened the heart of Pharaoh, it was not in the active form of hardening. He was taking advantage of the hardened, already hardened heart of Pharaoh to sponsor his own agenda. Because God doesn't just have predetermination, he has foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is I already know what it will cost me. I already know how far I need to go to get you to this point. I already know it. I didn't make you do it, but I already know what you will do. Do you understand? That's foreknowledge. So God, at the end of the day, knows the number of people that will be saved in this world. He knows. He knows. By foreknowledge. <laughs> I hope <laughs> I'm not losing some people this morning. Predetermination is causing you to do something. Foreknowledge is knowing what you will do ahead of time. Do you understand? But by the time... He now shows up at the end of foreknowledge. You assume that he made you do it. He didn't make you do it. You did it by your own free will. Because he will not violate it. <sighs> this is why God did not just twist the heart of Jonah. He didn't just bend it. He couldn't. He didn't want to. And he will never do it. He won't do it. He just wouldn't. You know why? Because it threatens his nature. It threatens his nature to manipulate anyone to say yes to him. God cannot continue to be love if he makes you do anything. He can't continue to be love. Even in the perfect beginning. How many of you have asked this question? Wait, why, why if God chop this thing? You know? And you just, you just get upset. Like, wait, self. Why you go chop this thing? And then you will now backwardly integrate 
But wait, oh. why God even plant them? Abby, like, okay, okay, she chop them. She's not supposed to chop them. But why God even plant them to tempt? Ah, why would you plant something that will tempt? If not, be say, God plant them, she no go chop them. If she no chop them, we no go fall. So at the end of the day, God is still the one to have changed his strategy. But he couldn't. You know why? There has to be a possibility for disobedience. For him to be able to evaluate obedience. <laughs> Do you see? If the garden had no avenue for disobedience, God does, is not in a love relationship anymore. He has just created a, a clone. He has just created a puppet that has no choice but to love him back. That is not what God is looking for. He's looking for people to choose him. People to choose him. You can't choose without alternatives. You can't choose without alternatives. The reason why I know my wife loves me is because I'm not the only man in the world. If I was the only man, she didn't love me. She made do with what she had. Isn't it? Do you understand? You are the only man in the world. Which one is love? Yeah, let's do what we have to do and propagate this life, I beg. Which one is I love you? I didn't choose you. You are the only one available. Do you see? So without alternatives, we can't establish love. And God is love. So even in the perfect beginning, God had to create an alternative for disobedience. So guess what? Man would have still fallen anyways. There is no other possibility than the fall of man. This is why what we are experiencing, the life of God we are experiencing through our Lord Jesus Christ was God's plan from the beginning. Ah, this God. This God. Ah, this God. So you imagine that garden was the perfect plan. No. Jesus is the perfect plan. This is why the Lamb of God was not slain after you sinned. Before, he already made the provision because he created a man that had moral agency. And if man has moral agency, he will exploit. He will exploit. Amen. As a matter of fact, Adam was a child. <laughs> Adam was a child. He was a babe. Babe that had muscular tussle and, and beard six packs but a babe a babe unskillful in the word of righteousness a babe how did I know that Adam was a babe because the real problem in the beginning was not that God had a problem with you having the knowledge of good and evil else it wouldn't be referenced in Hebrews chapter 5 from verse 14 there about that strong meat huh? Is for those who are full of age, who have their senses exercised to discern between good and evil. However, so what God told them not to taste, he wasn't going to withhold from them for all times and eternity. When they get to a level of growth, they would have been able to taste it. At his word his word but however the sequencing of your growth 
cannot afford you to experience knowledge of good and evil and stay incorrupt. If you chop it, you will be corrupted because you have not received the life that can make you discern and always choose good in spite of the perpetual presence of evil with the good. Are you getting what I'm saying? Evil will always be with good. That's the world we have lived in today. And it was there in the perfect beginning. There was evil in the Garden of Eden. Evil. Because. Ah. So. Adam was not ready for that knowledge. Because that knowledge will corrupt him. It will. So God said, you know what you should be doing now? Be taking of the tree of life. Be growing. Be growing. Just be growing. When you are of full age, you'll be able to discern. So I will tell you, you know what? You can eat of all the trees in the garden. Anyone you want. You would always choose good all the time. After you get to a certain level. A stature. I wouldn't need to tell you don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's law. Grace would have conditioned your appetites. You will see good. You will see evil. You will not attempt evil. You will want good all the time. You will discern. You won't have the knowledge of good and evil inside of you. You will discern between good and evil and choose good. There's a difference. <sighs> Amen. Are we still together? So, this thing that you keep saying was an afterthought. It was not an afterthought. Jesus has always been the plan. Because there's no Jesus in the garden. It's just the Father and Adam. No spirit. No Jesus. Such a limited combo cannot produce a mature man. It was while he continued to eat in that alternative option, eat of the tree of life, that he would have gotten to a point where God would have said, you know what, eat anyone you want to eat. And he would want the good all the time. Because strong meat is meant for those who are of full age, able to discern. By reason of use, they have their senses exercised to discern between good and evil. And what do you think they will choose? Good. Because they are mature. In fact, they will call them perfect. Right? That's what KJV calls mature people. Perfect. Incapable of dysfunction. Incapable. So, Adam was a babe. The first Adam was strongly dichotomized from the second Adam. The first Adam was not a quickness spirit. It was a living soul. A lower version of the second Adam. So even in his perfect state, he was a shade lower. The first Adam was a living soul. The second Adam was a life-giving spirit. There's a difference. Are we still together, guys? So, let's get a little deeper now. They got corrupted. And then God said, ah, they have eaten this thing. They were not meant to eat it yet. But they've eaten it. So that they do not stretch forth their hands and take off the tree of life and be dysfunction, but un or dysfunctional rather, but immortal. He says, no, let us limit the degree of corruption that they would have access to. 
Because the moment you are dysfunctional and immortal, the level of evil you will become, you don't even know it yet. This is why, this is the, this is the gospel that the living doctrine is preaching. That your dysfunction is immortalized. Continue to sin. The immortality dimension of you cannot be affected or threatened. That's the gospel that they are teaching there. That you have tasted of the knowledge of good and evil. Now you are corrupt. But you can continue to have access to the tree of life for all time and eternity. Once you are saved, you are forever saved. Whatever you do with your body does not matter. Just continue to languish in sin. Your immortality cannot be threatened. So that doctrine is an assault against the wisdom of God. Because what God did was to limit their access to the tree of life. So that their dysfunction will not become immortal. So that there will be a hope for redemption. Because the moment they become immortal, they can no longer be redeemed. They can no longer be redeemed. What will he promise them? Life. They already have it. Ah, so that they that believe shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The life you want to promise me for receiving Jesus, I already have it. The knowledge of good and evil has already worked corruption in me. So I'm, an, I'm a corrupt, immortal being. I can't be redeemed. And I can't choose good. What do you think that kind of man is capable of? So from the perfect beginning, God did not make man to be independent of him. He made man to be extremely dependent on him. And the only way he can evaluate that dependence is through obedience of faith. If you are not denying an option to choose him, you didn't choose him. This is what is called suffering. This is the original meaning of suffering. Suffering is to allow. That is, you said no to something to choose another. That's what it means to suffer. This is how Jesus was perfected. Bible says Jesus became the author of our salvation and he became equipped to do that job through the things he suffered. He became the captain of our salvation. He suffered some things. He rejected the allowance of some things. He did not give himself over to the things he could have chosen. So he suffered some things. He suffered the annihilation of the... These things are just sometimes... He, he suffered his privilege. The privilege that Adam had to choose whatever he wanted to choose because he's a moral agency. He can't choose. He suffered, he severed himself from the capacity to choose what he wanted. Suffered it. And that was how he became the captain of our salvation. The Bible says that was the only way he could learn obedience. Through the things he suffered. Adam didn't suffer anything. The first attempt to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He took it. Let me shock you. Genesis. Genesis chapter. I'm still brooding on these things. But let's explore this together. It's exciting, isn't it? Genesis chapter 2. Look at the instruction from verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. 
And there he put the man whom he had formed. He put the man whom he had formed. Verse 9. And out of the ground made the Lord grow to, made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight. And good for food. Listen to the next verse. Ah. The tree of life also, apart from all the other trees that he created that were good for food and were lovely to see and behold. He now had as well the tree of life. And he referenced the particular position of that tree. And it makes sense in light of the other canons that this thing must be at the center. It, it represents Christ. When the center is no longer holding, all things will fall apart. Christ is at the center of it all. So that in all things, they might have preeminence. So, Bible says the tree of life is in the midst of the garden. We don't know the position of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. From this verse, we can't, it is possible the two of them were in the middle. It is possible only the tree of life was in the middle. But we know of a certainty that the tree of life was in the middle. Are we still together? So, when the subtle snake, serpent, showed up to begin a tempt what do we see? Verse 2, chapter 3. And the woman said unto serpent, We may not eat of the trees, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. Huh. You are free to eat. So let's backtrack a little. Genesis chapter 2, from verse 16. And the Lord commanded man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The instruction was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't reference middle in the instruction. Are we still together? God did not reference don't eat any of the trees in the middle. He said, of everything, eat everything, including the one in the middle, by implication. But the one that has the tree of knowledge of good and evil, do not eat it. For in the day you eat it, you will die. By the time it was cascaded to Eve, which is to show you that Adam was a faulty teacher. The sign of maturity, according to Hebrews 5, is that you are able to teach. It's the minimum requirement for growth. You are able to teach when you ought to be teachers. You still have need that somebody still keeps explaining to you the very basic and elementary things of the kingdom. He says, which be part of the first principles. He says, I want to show you Melchizedek. I want to share some deep things with you. But you don't have the capacity to receive it. Because you're still babes. Because you're unskillful. I want to show you strong meat, but I, I, sensed, I sensed the level of spiritual stature in this room, and I can't give you strong meat. It will be wasted meat. Imagine you give meat to people that are vegetarians. They can't eat it. it will, you will waste your meat. That was why Paul didn't say it, because none of them would be able to understand it. It would have no benefit whatsoever to them. So there was no point sharing what they couldn't assimilate. It says because strong meat is meant for them who have come of full age, full circle, mature. Who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern between good and evil. 
Adam had not gotten to that point where he could teach. He had not grown. He was still a babe. So even in his attempt to teach his wife, he got so many things wrong. So many things. So many things wrong. God did not say, do not eat of the tree of life. If there was any tree you should be binging on every day is the tree of life. But then you cascaded over to your wife. And what your wife was telling the devil is that, ah, we must eat. But the one in the middle, we must not eat. And the one we are certain is in the middle is the tree of life. So it's even possible that what Adam taught Eve was a direct opposite of what God told him. Are we still together, guys? Eat of the tree of knowledge. All right. Eat of the tree of life. Eat it. Chop it. I want to tell your wife that God said we should not eat of the tree that is in the middle. The only one we are certain of that is in the middle is the tree of life. So the thing your wife should have been so attracted to and be taken as much was the thing she was fearing. It now became a source of fear. Ah, we must, eh, we must not. It was that lacuna that the devil exploited. The devil would not have been able to exploit Eve if she was well taught. There will be no space. There will be no lacuna. Nothing to exploit. If, because Adam did not go fishing. Adam did not go hunting. Adam was with her. While she was having that conversation with the devil. Adam was not aloof. Adam was there because the moment she ate it. Bible says she gave to her husband with her. Her husband was there. And observed observed such transaction going on and he did not say a word. He didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. He knew that if he taught his wife wrong, there would be an opportunity for him to taste what he had always wanted to taste. The possibility for violation will open up if I don't teach them right. So he refused to teach his wife. And then he ate like he wanted to. The first time God asks him a question. Where are you? Who told you you were naked? It's not me. It's not me. I didn't do nothing. Gave me a wife. I got deceived. Wife gave me what to eat. I ate it. You gave me now. Why would I be? Me le call. Just see how me learn now, you know. Well, your wife cooks for you. You say, no, you know it. Uh, you gave me wife to help me. And the wife gave me food. I should know it. You gave me this wife now. Why would I reject what you gave me? Inadvertently abusing God. You didn't think it well. You didn't, you didn't strategize. This woman is faulty. There's something wrong with her. Ah. The first expression of the fall was irresponsibility deficiency in fatherhood then he said it's the woman and God said okay that's fine why did you do this woman he said it's the serpent that's fine as a serpent you're cursed blah 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 but at the same time you have received the kingdom the kingdom is now yours the kingdom belongs to those who will take responsibility however Responsibility begins with repentance. The title of my teaching this morning is The Door. The Door. The Door. 
the doctrine of repentance. That's the door. The doctrine of repentance. The doctrine of repentance. That's the door. This door has no divine handle. God can never use that door. It is only humans that can use this door. But it's the only door to God. Ah, are you with me, guys? I know you will listen to this message a few times to understand it, okay? Because we are also on this journey together. Do you understand that? Uh-huh. So, don't be afraid. You, you will understand. By and by. <laughs> Praise God. This is why God cannot manipulate a heart and say, do this, and he makes you do it. He can in his sovereignty. He won't in his nature. He won't. And none of them can exist without the other. So, you are trying to destroy God if you ask him to manipulate you to do something. He can't do it. He can do it as a sovereign God. He won't do it as a love. Or rather, as love that he is. He's not just a loving God. He is defined by that character called love. In doing that, he will violate his nature. Which will no longer make him sovereign. Because it is through his character he makes sovereign decisions. It is his love that gives him the capacity to make sovereign decisions that would always be right across dispensations and times. He's sovereign. But his sovereignty is organized by his will. Which is a function of his character. Hallelujah. So he, he won't manipulate Jonah. He will manipulate everything else that can hopefully get to Jonah. But Jonah he won't touch. So who is this king in Proverbs chapter 21 that his heart is in the hand of the Lord? I've taught you before. Do you remember? I've taught you before. How that, how we get enthroned. Remember? Do you remember that statement, that phrase? How you get enthroned in this kingdom is by meditation. Proverbs chapter 25. And verse 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing. It is the honor of kings to search it out. You become a king in pursuit of God. That is how you get enthroned as a king. Because there's the same Proverbs chapter 25 that tells us how God ordains his kings. He says he conceals things for them, not from them. He conceals things for them. And then the ones that find it out are the kings. Your reward for searching it out and finding it is kingship. So you meditate into kingship. You meditate into getting your light to shine. That all men will see your good works. You need to go and listen to that teaching on its own. The vibe of faith, I believe. Alright. I was talking about no man lights a candle and puts it under a bushel. Such a powerful teaching. Go and listen to it. Alright. That is how God enthrones kings. This king has given his heart to God. This king has carried his own heart. God did not collect it from him. This king, by pursuit and meditation, entered into a business transaction with God and said, I have given you my heart. Remember that part that says, my son, give me your heart. This king said, you know what? I enthrone myself as king in pursuit of your dictate and your statutes and your judgments. I meditate in it day and night. I give myself over to you. I beseech you therefore, brethren, Romans chapter 12. By the mercies of God, I present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that king, according to Proverbs chapter 21, and also according to Proverbs chapter 25, 
is the one who has meditated into giving his heart unto God. It is this person that is the king whose heart is in the hand of the Lord. It is this person's heart that he can turn however he wants. Because that king has given his heart unto the Lord. Not just a reprobate, hardened man. That man has not given his heart unto the Lord. He is no king whose heart is in the hand of the Lord. So the next time you pray that prayer for the manipulation of somebody's heart, you have realized that it didn't work. You have realized. You have realized. By reason of use. You have realized that that prayer did not work. God will not manipulate anybody. If there are not enough sons, God will not do anything. He is dependent on the raising of sons to get his work done on earth. You don't understand. If you need God to do something, he won't manipulate and hijack someone's mental consciousness just to please you. He will need you to pray. Then he will cause angels to begin to send signals within the vicinity of that person who may pick it up as a son and say, Lord, what would you have me do? Pick it up in his dream as well and begin to pray in the middle of the night and receive an instruction to give based on your prayer. If he does not have enough sons to execute that project, it remains undone. They won't hijack somebody's heart. This is why we pray. Hijack anybody's heart because you have prayed. Your prayer is no magic wand. See, listen. Some of your prayers will not be answered until the body grows. You have been praying, praying. You are not teaching. You are not becoming an example to believers. The, the conglomerate of believers and Christendom is not growing. And you expect all your prayers to just be answered. God needs men, sons, to rise. So that somebody prays, a son picks it. The son says, use my heart with us however you want. Because he's a king who has handed over his heart to the hand of the Lord. And Bible says, that hand, he will use it to manipulate that heart. He will use that heart. Is that what God did with David? Use that man. Such that at the end of his life, what was said of him was that he served his generation. According to the will of God, God used him. God had wills. He had a lot of plans and agendas upon the face of the earth. And every single time he wanted to execute it, he just always found David usable. He just always found him usable. He just found him usable. And that was how it was said of him that he served his generation. According not to his own will. According to the will of a certain God. Who he had surrendered his heart to. To his hands so God could use David's heart however he wanted however he wanted and the dominant theme of this type of heart is a repentant heart if you have not learned to be repentant your heart cannot be like that you cannot be of such stature in God's agenda your heart must be nimble because repentance simply means a change of mind. God will not make you change it. You by yourself, you will change it. This change of mind is what turns into a change in behavior. Because if you will not repent, but he will give you access back to the tree of life. He has made your redemption improbable. He can no longer redeem you. So it was an act of God's love that he sent cherubims to stand guard at the Garden of Eden so that they will not have access to what will curse them forever. Because even they will be irredeemable by themselves. They can't repent. Imagine someone who is in the wrong but has no levers to get him into repentance. Nothing to threaten him with. Nothing. 
not whatever he does, his immortality will always be intact. So he would always do what he wants to do with absolutely no consequences. Why would he do good? Because the heart of man is desperately wicked, including Adam's own. God didn't create a perfect heart in Adam. Because it was a heart that was subject to free moral agency. Free moral agency is neither good nor bad. But the heart will not stick to the good side of it. Because the heart of man is desperately wicked. God created man to be in perpetual need for him. Don't you understand? He created a man that he wanted to have a relationship with. So he created the limitation of that heart would be that it must always be in the company of the Holy Ghost. For it to do the will of the Father. By itself, it cannot please God. This is what Paul was explaining in Romans chapter 7. I want to do good, but I can't. Because this knowledge of good and evil, evil always overpowers the good. There is nothing I can do in myself. Listen, let me also go a little theological now. This is also the reason why you say, why is there so much evil in the world? It's because God loves us. That's why. That's why. Because so many times we ask these questions. Why is there so much evil in this world? If God loves us, why is he allowing so much evil to happen? Why? The same God that makes it possible for you to love a woman by your own will is the one that makes it possible for a guy to carry a gun, shoot at supermarkets in, in Buffalo in New York City and kill thousands of people, hundreds of people, children in the school. It's the same God. The, the precondition for good is the precondition for evil. The precondition for good is free will. The precondition for evil is free will. God cannot have one without the other. That's why good will always be with evil. If man is involved, because man is a free moral agency, he can choose not to do good, which means he will do otherwise. He will do evil. The reason why you are saying, God, why are you so unjust? Is the exact res- same reason he's just. Don't you understand? So you say, ah, my mom, you took my mom from me. I prayed. You didn't, you didn't answer my prayer. Or something happened and all of that and you're praying. If God was not just, you wouldn't even have a mom to have loved you in the first place to feel the loss that you, you lost some, someone that was valuable enough. To feel a loss. That why did God take her? God didn't take her. The precondition for the good is the same precondition for evil. We are in a falling 